You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Okay, for uh, Eyal Harel, uh, Blue Green Water Technologies. So the big takeaway here, I realized, is uh, bodies of water, lakes, oceans, bays, etc. Um, cyanobacteria exist in, in all of them. And when they're fed nutrients like nitrogen and phosphorus, they can bloom suddenly. So uh, Blue Green has a technology where they're uh, figuring this out before it's even a crisis, which is great. Um, but it's funny, what, what really struck me is just like a kombucha, you know, or a sauerkraut or any fermented food or a yogurt, you have one bacteria or a couple kinds of bacteria that get in there and establish their own environment and acidify it or make it conducive to them, and that keeps that other bacteria. Um, so what can happen in a body of water or a lake or a part of the ocean is that these cyanobacteria are getting fed probably by runoff from agriculture and other stuff and all of a sudden they're proliferating and they're elbowing out everyone else in that ecosystem and they're making it conducive for them but unfortunately it can kill everyone else that wants to uh, be in that body of water other fish other bacteria etc and other people and animals that want to drink from the water bathe in it sit near it and breathe it and everything so that was a big takeaway i realized you know whether again you're making a yogurt or a kombucha or in your own gut uh, there's bacteria that are that can predominate and cause you problems and destroy your gut microbiome or uh, a, a lake or a, an entire ocean I mean this is like a fractal concept that exists at all these levels so that's one big takeaway from them hello this is Richard Jacobs with the future check and finding genius podcast I have uh, al Harrell He's the CEO and co-founder of Blue Green Water Technologies, LTD. So, Al, thanks for coming. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me. Doing great. Yeah, tell me about uh, Blue Green. What's the premise of the company? So, Blue Green developed um, the first solution to harmful algal blooms in large scale. Oh, algal blooms. Um, do these happen in just the ocean? Do they happen in freshwater? Or, uh, you know, where do, where do algal blooms happen? And let's talk a little bit more about them. So toxic algal blooms uh, happen all over the world in, um, in sea, in freshwater, in lakes, irrigation, uh, reservoirs for irrigation, uh, aquaculture, everywhere where there's uh, uh, water, 
you'd find uh, toxic algae. The question is uh, in what quantity. Um, the, in, under um, healthy conditions, cyanobacteria, which is a photosynthetic microorganism that uh, releases toxins into the water, is under control um, through um, checks and balances with other species in the environment. When the environment is uh, disturbed because of uh, human intervention, but not only because of many parameters, including uh, temperature, uh, nutrients in the water, um, other factors that may influence um, how much uh, and how fast they grow. Uh, under these conditions, this uh, very fragile balance is disturbed, um, causing the uh, toxic species to overpopulate, uh, sort of a population explosion. And as a result, um, they dominate the entire ecological uh, sphere. And when that happens, uh, they change, they, they continuously change the, uh, the uh, conditions in the water, the, chemical, the, the, the chemistry of the water and the biological mix in the water uh, to their benefit to the extent that they completely dominate the, the, uh, the water body. Now, this situation has uh, very, very bad implications uh, in basically in every parameter. Uh, to begin with, environmentally, it's, it's, it's a very bad situation. Um, other species cannot uh, properly coexist with uh, an uh, overpopulating uh, bacteria in the water, toxic bacteria. It affects the, um, uh, the ability of uh, uh, other organisms to breathe in the water. They need the oxygen in the water. Um, they uh, cause a very thick layer of scum be formed uh, at the, the surface of the water. So everything underneath is blackened and, um, and again, um, doesn't get enough oxygen or light uh, as needed. It's, a, it's an environmental catastrophe uh, in a sense. Um, and then you have the toxins. Oh, I was going to say before you go on, this is, this is really interesting because I've done a lot of calls on, for instance, the human microbiome. And I've done calls on people that do fermentation. They'll make kombucha and, you know, sauerkraut and things like that. And it's the exact same thing. One species, there's, there's certain conditions that allow a species of bacteria to predominate. And that causes a problem with the water body or it causes a problem in your gut or it causes a problem in even something as simple as making like, again, a kombucha and it gets ruined. So it's just so funny to me that it's, this happens at all levels and all scales. And there's a lot of similarity to what I'm hearing so far. So I just wanted that's to mention that. Uh, that's true. And actually it makes total sense because it's, it's bacteria and bacteria behave like bacteria under the right conditions. So when you have a sick lake, it behaves, it behaves like a sick person. So when, when a person is, is, is under the influence of, a, of, of an aggressive bacteria, uh, then, uh, then you have to deal with the, with the bacteria normally with antibiotics. When a lake is sick with, with the overpopulating bacteria in the water, and unfortunately until today, this, um, um, the efforts to, uh, to curb the, 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 this, this, this massive uh, onslaught of bacteria on these water bodies have uh, tailed colossally. And if you look at this uh, internationally, and this is not just you know, a U.S. problem, it's, it's all over the place. It's everywhere, including places that you would think are, you know, let's say, much more vigilant in terms of uh, environmental uh, uh, control and control of, 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 of uh, runoffs into, into lakes and, and so on and so forth. Um, uh, take uh, Europe, for example. Europe is suffering tremendously from, from, from algal bloom. I'm not even talking about China, Africa, everywhere. Uh, you, have, you have very bad algal bloom. And the reason is that, that, that these, these guys have been 
basically multiplying uninterruptedly, not just in the last couple of years, for centuries. And it's true that the last, um, the last uh, decades have been detrimental in the sense that, you know, much more um, uh, human activity and uh, fertilizers in the agriculture and other sorts of runoffs, as well as natural activities. And, and, and I'm not even talking about global warming, all combining into um, the already beneficial conditions to become perfect, to create the, the, the basically the perfect storm in terms of bacterial, um, uh, bacterial infection. And, and, and that, yeah. sorry? Yeah, question here. What, so in a healthy body of water, what place do cyanobacteria have? Are they in very, very small numbers? Or, you know, how would you rank them in terms of representation in the population? Are there still a lot of them, just not dominating? Or what's a healthy body of water look like? Yeah, exactly. I mean, cyanobacteria is one of the building, historically, cyanobacteria is one of the building blocks of life on Earth as we know it. Uh, it's the forefathers of algae, which is the forefathers of, 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 of aquatic plants, which, which are the, the, the forefathers of, you know, grass and trees and everything we know it. So, so cyanobacteria has been around basically since, since Earth, um, and, and, and it's everywhere. Uh, it can be found in the Arctic, it can be found in the deserts, it can be found even when there's no water. Um, and, and it's just everywhere. And yes, and under, under healthy conditions, it is controlled by other species that are, um, uh, that are basically uh, feeding off the same resources. So if you think about uh, the savanna in Africa, you know, you have a healthy amount, a number of, of lions and a healthy number of, uh, of zebras and a healthy number of, um, of um, uh, leopards. And, and they all coexist. And if one uh, uh, gets out of control in terms of numbers, then it influences all the rest because, because resources, if, in the end of the day, uh, are limited. Um, and, 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 and this is the result. So again, in a, in a healthy body of water, what percentage of the bacterial constituent are cyanobacteria? Are they in very small numbers normally? Or are there still tons of them? They're just not dominating and pushing everything out. So when you, per what? Then in, in right, what's the, what, would, what would be, uh, what would be the reference? Water? So right, yeah, so exactly. there are international standards. So the reference in terms of uh, what, what constitutes a bloom, international uh, uh, figure is 20,000 cells per million. That would uh, raise a warning. So under normal conditions, they will be well below that. Under bloom conditions, they'll be in the millions and in the billions and in the trillions. Um, and, wow. and that's when you see the, you know, the, the thick scum forming on the, on the water, very, um, very thick, uh, a, a turquoise color of the water. Basically, you know, you, I, I'm not, you probably have seen the, 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 the phenomenon. It, it has received a lot of attention in Florida and in Ohio, Lake Erie and so on, in Lake Okeechobee. Um, when they show... Uh, images, uh, satellite images of Lake Erie and the bloom that is forming on, on, in Lake Erie, you effectively see bacteria from space. I mean, just get your head around that. You, you see bacteria wow. from space. So these, that's, you can, understand, you can imagine what numbers can, can, can result in something as, as, uh, as amazing as that. In, again, in a, in a healthy body of water, what is the most prevalent bacteria that's observed? above and beyond cyanobacteria? Are there other ones that are super prevalent that they're displacing? Or is there no one bacteria that seems to dominate? 
No, so, and don't get me wrong, cyanobacteria is not a bacteria. It's, it's, it's a family of bacteria. Um, so there are different, different uh, members of, of, of the cyanobacteria family, and there are different members of many other photosynthetic microorganisms that are, in, that are in the water. Generally speaking, any water body is a biological jungle, and it changes all the time. So if you would take a water sample from a lake and take another sample from exactly the same place five minutes later or two or two feet to the side or one feet below you'll get completely different results in terms of 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 a species variety and uh and 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 sometimes even 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 water chemistry so so this is this is a very very tricky environment to work in because because it changes very fast all the time and it's moving Uh, you have currents, you have winds. Um, the whole system is, 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 is on the move. There is a lot that's going on in the water which, which we cannot see, which is why I'm, I'm, always, I'm always surprised, you know, when, when people are complaining that, that they have a, suddenly there's a bloom uh, in, in the water. It's not suddenly. Uh, and normally when they think that they suddenly saw the bloom, when they see a bloom, it's already, you know, it's, it's already in a catastrophe mode. It means that the, that the bloom was already there long before. You remember I said before that, that the threshold for warning in terms of blooms is 20,000 cells per milliliter. Now, 20,000 cells per milliliter is clear water to the naked eye. So when, you know, when, when in, uh, in Lady Bird Lake in Austin, the way they wake up in, uh, in August to, to a bloom suddenly, it's not suddenly. There was probably a bloom, a bloom last year as well. They just didn't know it. Nobody checked the water. But there was a bloom, and it developed and developed and developed. And while it was last year, it was in the, in the only in the hundreds of thousands, and they couldn't see it. Now it's in the millions or the billions. That's the difference. All right. So what are some of the ways that you've found that can clear up a body of water? So fundamentally, again, this is a very uh, a complicated uh, problem. And it, the main uh, most uh, pronounced uh, uh, aspect of it is the is the sheer number of bacteria in the water that that doesn't allow other species to, to to serve their natural role within the ecosystem and what we have done we've created a, a, essentially an algae site that under very very small a, a dose regime and a very very simple treatment protocol It creates a situation, I don't want to go too much into technical aspects unless you're interested in hearing all the technical aspects. No, I do. Yeah, I, I do want to. Well, one thing I'm considering as you're talking is even a small body of water has so much volume in it. So if you were to put, let's say you were to put a chemical in to try to treat this, unless that chemical worked at tiny, tiny concentrations, I don't know how you would ever, you know, change a body of water's chemistry. It seems like You'd have to take a biological approach and alter the cyanobacteria or introduce some other species that would you know cause them to die off um, because that's just my thoughts on the scale of the problem but yeah let's go into some technical details tell me no so so you you're you're spot on you, you got it you got it exactly right that's the reason why algaecides to date haven't worked other than in very very small scale in huge quantities because you had to shock treatment An entire water body, usually small ponds of a couple of acres, but still you had to shock treat them with massive quantities of algaecides in order to get an effect. You're absolutely right. The thing is what we've done, we've taken the same algaecides that have been used in the past, but we manipulated them. We changed their formulation 
with a very small input to allow them, we change their physical properties to allow them to float and time release, which means now we don't need to shock treat, shock treat the entire water body. The application is very simple. You apply the product upwind. The winds and the currents do their thing and push the product along the same movement patterns as the target, the cyanobacteria. So you have a perfect movement, a, a perfect match between the movement of the target and movement of the, of the algae site. And the, and, and the algae site is where it needs to be and also when it needs to be because the whole system moves together. Now, this is just the chemical aspect. So now you, we, what, what we've managed to achieve is to bring the, 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 the chemical to the target, like a silver bullet, where it is and when it is. By doing so, we're able to trigger a biological chain of event, and this, is, and this goes back to your question, that exponentially expands the result, the initial result of the algae site that we're using. What do I mean? When we're, when we're using chemical in the water in the right amount and over a, a sufficient period of time, cyanobacteria starts releasing signals into the, signals into the water and create an oxid a secondary oxidative stress. This is what I'm telling you right now is completely natural and specific to the to the to, to cyanobacteria. Okay, that's that's the second phase after the chemical application. So at this point, we start a biological chain of events that where the the cyanobacteria starts releasing signals into the water that are uh, being broadcast throughout different layers, in, including to naive populations of cyanobacteria causing them to undergo uh, a programmed cell death, meaning the entire cyanobacterial population or in large, large quantities is, is, is basically committing suicide, if you wish. And what we've seen through thousands of commercial, commercial applications is that within 24 to 48 hours, we've been able to decimate cyanobacterial numbers by 90, 95, 98%. It's that fast wow. and that dramatic, and it has nothing to do with the very, very small quantity of chemical that we've introduced it to, uh, into the water. So this is very dramatic, but this is only phase one. So the first step is to crush the numbers of cyanobacteria in the water. Now the second phase, again, completely natural because within a couple of hours, there's no chemical in the water that is, that is, that is creating any sort of effect. But, the, but, but what we are seeing over time, and I'm talking about days and weeks following treatment, we see that following the dramatic decline of cyanobacteria, we see a dramatic increase in the number or in the numbers of beneficial species. So we are rehabilitating the lake in the sense that we have we allow um, the, the 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 natural com uh, competitors of cyanobacteria, the non-toxic species, to reoccupy the ecological niche. And from now on, they serve as the as the biological if you want grass mower that will prevent or at least delay um, the, uh, the cyanobacteria from, from, from a, a, a research again and become dominant. And that can take them from their own, can take them months and in, in, in sometime, uh, sometimes years. What happens to the, uh, you know, 10 to the 50th corpses of cyanobacteria as they die and you know, probably sink to the bottom. That would right. create, uh, change the environment of the, the floor, the sea floor, the ocean floor, the, the lake floor. And what, what would be the consequence there? Okay, so, so if you want to take the environmental approach, you should not wait for a bloom. Um, don't wait for a catastrophe. So, so stop the bloom before it even happens. And this is what we're trying to preach to all, 
to, uh, to all of our clients, um, hit it when it's small, because when, when cyanobacterial numbers are, 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 are low, when they are at the 20,000 level or even 50,000 or even 100,000 level, um, the amount of chemical that you'll have to, that you'll have to uh, apply is ridiculously low. The effect is just as pronounced, and you, and you prevent the situation where you have a lo- lots of corpses, so to speak, in the water. Now, it's true. If it's already a catastrophe, then under a catastroph- catastrophic situation, the result is that you have lots of corpses in the water. And when you have lots of corpses in the water, again, totally by a natural a, a, a process takes place where a, 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 you have bacteria that that's their role in the environment to eat off the corpses um, and, and, and that's what's going to happen by the way one of the reasons why you have um, oxygen depletion in uh, under bloom conditions is that these bacteria that eat that eat the corpses they consume a lot of a lot of oxygen which depletes the, the oxygen in the water. Now, this happens anyway, whether you treat or not, because, because bacteria multiplies, but it also naturally dies. So if you don't treat, you'll still have, you know, masses of corpses building up, but the masses that are alive will continue growing. So you're not saving on, uh, you know, on corpses if you don't treat. Makes sense. What, what's the predominant uh, nutrient source for cyanobacteria and what metabolites do they create that, uh, that, you know, that rise up to tremendous levels in addition to just the bloom of the, you know, the bacteria themselves? I'm sure they're producing certain metabolites that are getting to tremendous levels in the water as well. So, again, what do they feed on and what do they produce? Right. These are, these are two separate, very important questions. Um, the, they eat primarily, um, uh, if you can call it, eat exactly, they eat primarily uh, phosphorus and, and, uh, and nitrogen, and these are available in different levels in different water bodies. They are not the only source of uh, food, so to speak, um, for cyanobacteria. Um, other sources are sun and, um, and you know many other uh, many other aspects in the water that would create, a, a, let's say, comfortable conditions for uh, cyanobacteria to thrive. For reference, uh, there's been a recent uh, publication in, uh, in Nature magazine um, where they have shown that uh, it's difficult to show correlation between the amount of nutrients, i.e. N and, uh, and P, uh, in the water uh, and, and the level of bacteria. On the other hand, there is a much better correlation between temperature and the amount of bacteria in the water. So again, this is it's it's, it's a complicated matter, and, and and they can feed off different things. And even if they are stressed and there are lower levels of phosphorus, for example, uh, some species of cyanobacteria know how to scavenge phosphorus uh, from uh, neighboring species. So they are they are quite resourceful. Um, in terms of metabolites, also very important, they release lots and lots of different metabolites into the water. Many of them are very, very toxic, including uh, some of the toxins are, uh, 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 can uh, hurt the brain, neurotoxins, uh, liver toxins, dermal toxins, uh, toxins that uh, can, can affect uh, uh, the digestion, uh, digestive system. And the problem with that is that science knows only a few of them. So every year they find a couple of uh, new metabolites that are dangerous to human to animal, and, and, and they publish those. But normally uh, what happens is that uh, under bloom conditions, the local authority 
Uh, if they know about it, and they, usually they only know about it because uh, residents reported that they've seen the bloom, and again, that means that it's already a catastrophe in terms of numbers, and that's when they'll send uh, somebody to take some samples. The samples will, will come back after a couple of weeks where, as I mentioned before, the results will already, uh, the, the conditions in the water have already changed uh, several times. Um, but then the lab results in terms of toxins will only check, usually they check less than eight specific toxins in the water. So in principle, what can happen is that uh, uh, they can uh, uh, return a pos- a, sorry, negative results. In other words, they can argue that there are no toxins in the water, that the water um, is safe. But that doesn't mean that the water is really safe. It means that they didn't find the toxins they were looking. Um, and, and this is where the, it's becoming very, very problematic when, when under bloom conditions, local authorities are, are you know, waving a, a, a flag saying that everything is okay, you can use the water regularly because, you know what, I would. Okay, so um, if, uh, if I'm looking at a body of water and I have an algal bloom, let's just say it's a circle and it's, a, you know, half a mile in diameter, would I drop in your solution in the center of the circle or the edge? And or does it depend on the currents and the wind? And, you know, have you had uh, situations where the bloom is split into multiple blooms, which makes it worse? Or like, what does it look like from a, you know, from a concentration of bacteria at an eye level and a health level as you treat? So, uh, yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> Again, if, if, if you look at, uh, at, um, at blooms from, you know, satellite images of, of blooms, you'll see there is no, uh, there is no rule of thumb. Uh, basically, the, the, uh, the movement of the bloom is very much dependent on, on the winds and the currents. Uh, there are certain hotspots where a bloom would usually start, so to speak, uh, in shallower, warmer waters. Um, but from there on, it would just, you know, like I said, it, it will move with the currents and, and, and the winds. They don't swim. They, they are being pushed. So um, in terms of treatment, we would do exactly the same. We'll, 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 we'll follow the pattern of, of, the, uh, uh, of the winds and the currents and apply up, uh, upwind, upstream, and, and let nature do, do the rest. Um, we've treated in places where we were very limited in terms of uh, application location. Uh, we had to drop uh, the, the, the compound from a single uh, suboptimal location, but it didn't matter much because eventually, you know, the wind changed and, uh, and pushed it in the right direction. Um, this is, you know, this is the whole beauty with the whole thing. You don't have to follow a very strict, definitely not a full lake application. The, the, the beauty with, with the application is, is its simplicity. You can come, you can do it in a, in a, in a half, a, your example of half a mile of a lake, um, um, it's easy. You just, you know, you get from 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 the uh, from the banks of the lake, um, or from a boat if you want. And in in larger areas, you can also treat it with the planes. In Israel, um, uh, we have quite a few customers that uh, that drop uh, the product from a from a crop duster. So there are many ways to do it. It's very very easy. More importantly, it's very fast to respond. So if you see a bloom. You don't need to, you know, call the cavalry and, you know, wait for weeks for, the, from the, for them to bring, you know, special equipment and special personnel and prepare and all this. Because, again, time is of the essence. These things are, are these bacteria are multiplying on, a, on an hourly basis. Um, the ability to bring the product to the lake and, and apply it fast is, is key. Um, 
to give you a reference, uh, in, we, we, did, uh, we treated the Chippewa Lake uh, in Ohio. It's a 330-acre lake. Um, we treated it in the beginning of August. Now, this lake has been uh, uh, badly hit by cyanobacterial blooms since 2014, uh, which would, they would have to close uh, the lake for any use uh, every year since between April and November. We treated it in uh, the beginning of August. It took us 25 minutes to treat 330 acres. Um, results were obviously within 24 hours. The, uh, cyanobac- the, amount, the number of cyanobacteria dropped in 24 hours. The lake was open to the public uh, that afternoon, and it stayed open to the public until today. I'm guessing that by now the lake is already frozen. But again, um, it, last year... Um, until I think the end of November, it was closed to the public because of very heavy blooms. Um, it was clean ever since we treated it. So, um, the, so the treatment is, is, is easy, uh, fast to apply, and, 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 and the results are very much long-lasting. Yeah, I was going to ask you, once a body of water has an algal bloom, is it more likely to have more of them in the future? Is there even data on that? Or uh, once you treat is it seems to be protected for a long period of time more than it normally would. So, so if, if, if a lake is, uh, is, uh, has a, an algal bloom problem, whether there will be next year, whether you will have another cycle of, of a bloom is, 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 is practically a guarantee um, because, because what happens during winter time and really what authorities are you know, thinking to themselves, okay, we'll wait uh, long enough that, that, that will collapse. It's true and not true. You will not see the bloom anymore under uh, unfavorable conditions, for example, winter, uh, low temperatures. The bacteria simply feels uncomfortable. Um, They go down and they wait. They don't go anywhere. Again, remember, they've been multiplying for many, many years. The reason that you see now what you're seeing is is that they kept ramping up their numbers to the point that you know now it's a catastrophe so if if you don't treat the next year you'll start from a higher level which is why all over the world you see in, an inten- intensification of blooms worldwide um because they are untreated now when you do treat um if you are able to effectively reduce their numbers dramatically then in a way you're resetting uh, the situation. So next year, instead of starting at a much higher level, they are starting at a much lower level. And therefore, the, uh, their ability to gather strength is, is substantially diminished. Um, they are now facing again with uh, enhanced uh, competition from, from, uh, uh, from other microorganisms that compete on the same resources. So the overall conditions for the, a bloom to form is, is far reduced and the overall condition in the water is much better. Um, uh, interesting. Are you um, studying the dynamics of quorum sensing in bacteria to help you uh, figure out how to uh, make the treatment even better? Or do you feel like it's at a level where it's, it's good enough and now the, the key is to get it deployed quickly when people need it? So the, the treatment that we've developed is the result of these studies. So, so the, the, the originators of, uh, of the technology are Professor Aaron Kaplan from the Hebrew University and Dr. Moshe Arel was his uh, PhD student. Um, and, and they specialized in the, in the communication between bacteria. Um, it's, it's, it's not a coincidence that the, that the treatment was designed not to be 
a chemical treatment per se that you know kills with you know a five a five kilo hammer dropped on the heads of, of, of the bacteria the idea was to very selectively surgically um, um, hit the, uh, the the bacteria in a way that will trigger these communication these signaling system within the cyanobacteria specifically within the cyanobacterial population to create an effect that is selected to the to the toxic species and doesn't affect the rest of the uh, uh, of the uh, uh, microorganisms in the water so what's next for this uh, treatment what do you see is uh, important to do from here to make it even better so basically uh, bo- our first two products are already uh, US EPA approved um, they are commercially available in the United States we only launched late um, uh, 2019 uh, our first product the second one uh, will arrive hopefully by uh, the beginning of, uh, of 2020, um, you know, we hope to uh, start uh, pushing uh, the solution uh, as far and wide as, uh, as possible across the country. Um, at the same time, we're working in other countries, in China, South Africa, Russia. Uh, we're very much uh, working in, uh, in Israel, including with the Israeli National Water Company. Um, we, you know... We didn't really go into into the other than the environmental aspect. We didn't really go into the humanitarian aspect of, of you know of contaminated water and and how they affect um, how they affect uh, people all over the world. But but this is really the uh, from my perspective at least the real driver to push this solution as fast as possible into the market because you know when 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 Lake Erie was blooming in 2014 and the and the water system the drinking water system in Toledo collapsed. Then the, then the local, the, the governor of Ohio declared an emergency, state of emergency, called the National Guards, and they started, you know, giving out uh, water bottles in the streets. When something like that happens in Africa, and it happens all the time, um, I, I was recently in, in South Africa where they were, it was published a newspaper that um, water coming from one of the biggest dams in the country was arriving at the end users uh, with uh, earthy smell and taste. Uh, and this is textbook cyanobacteria, um, and it's also textbook that, that the, the water treatment facilities are failing. And the authorities' uh, response was, "Yeah, we know there is a bad uh, cyanobacterial bloom in the in the in the dam. Uh, everything is okay. Um, you can drink the water. The water is safe." That that, that was the response. It was media, and uh, you know, my, my my first response was was you know shock. Uh, how can the local authorities tell the people that the toxic water that the that comes out of their taps is, is safe. But then I was thinking, what's the alternative? Uh, what can they do? They, they, you know, there's no National Guard to call and, and start you know, handing out in, in small villages um, uh, bottled water, right? So, so the, the alternative to sounding uh, you know, the, the, the no alarm uh, signal is you know, causing panic. And, 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 and that's what it all boils down to. The fact is, is that resources are diminishing. There's you know, global warming, less rain in many places around the world, the reduced water levels are further, uh, are further catalyzator for, 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 you know, warmer temperatures in the water and even uh, uh, more intensified uh, blooms. And, you know, people are left without water to, without water to irrigate their, uh, their crops. It's, it's a catastrophe. I mean, it's a catastrophe with biblical proportions. And, and, and this is why I'm hoping that, you know, that, 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 
we can bring out this, this you know the message that, that this is this is not something this is not an act of god that cannot be handled this is not a hurricane it's something that can be treated we are treating today lakes all over the world with 100% success and it's fast the results are within 24 hours it's that fast and it's very very important for us to deliver this message all over the place yeah uh, well, i wanted to ask you what happens if you attempt to drink water that has you know trillions of cyanobacteria per Per milliliter, what what are some of the health effects? Or is well, it even die. drinkable at all? To start, to start, you can die. Um, but it's not just if you drink. Look, it affects everything. Um, the toxins become aerosol, so you breathe the toxins. Um, you drink the toxins if you drink uh, the water uh, that is not properly treated. Um, eat the toxins uh, because if you eat fish. That um, uh, that grew up in uh, in uh, toxic water, then the toxins accumulate in the fish organs, and then you eat it. If you eat uh, crops that were irrigated with uh, toxic water, then again you eat toxins. So so this is this is not just a problem of people that are you know directly next to infected lakes. It's, you know they they are being affected hardest because because they suffocate from the stench. They breathe the toxins, uh, they eat the fish, and they drink the water. But um, water that is that is that is irrig- uh, toxic water that is irrigating crops that, are, that is later being distributed throughout the nation, uh, and then you have uh, cyanotoxins uh, in in your supermarket, you know, in hundreds uh, or even thousands of miles away. And so this is not a problem that is limited just you know to to the communities that that are around these water, these water sources. And these toxins are very, very important. You know, there's lots of studies, a dime a dozen, that, that show how bad they are. Um, they are related to all sorts of neurodegenerative diseases, such as Parkinson's and, uh, and Alzheimer's disease. Um, uh, you know, they, they kill um, livestock that, uh, that drink the water. In the United States, somehow they, they get very excited when, when dogs die, when they drink the water. But, uh, you know, all over the world, you have... Big animals, including cows and uh, and uh, other animals that, that that would drink a sufficient amount of these toxins and, and will die. And so, just imagine if 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 can kill a cow, why can't it kill uh, a, a human being or definitely a child? It's a it's a, it's a this, bad may, this may be strange, but has anyone tried to strain water with uh, you know a whole bunch of cyanobacteria in it and cook it and make it into food? Or is it not possible to turn this into a food that uh, actually would be good for you, even if you cooked it? Uh, that's or is first that of ridiculous. All, <laughs> it's not ridiculous at all. It's been tried. Cooking doesn't kill the doesn't uh, degrade the toxins. If you want to degrade the toxins, you have to to chlorinate very aggressively um, in order to get a, to get away f- uh, with with the toxins. The toxins are 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 damn persistent. Um, so no, so cooking is not an option. Um, whether cyanobacteria is used as a food? Oh, yes. Uh, there are species that are considered quote-unquote non-toxic. Uh, one of the most famous ones is spirulina. They're being sold out as superfood. Um, if you ask me, don't touch it. Uh, it's like introducing a, a vegetarian lion. Um, you know, I wouldn't go around it, uh, even if they tell you that, 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 that this lion is vegetarian. I would rather see it behind the you know, uh, behind uh, the bars of the cage. Uh, look, there are so many species, and 
And like I said before, they all release all sorts of metabolites into the water. And they've been around for a very long time. So the idea that a single species out of the bunch is non-toxic is, biologically speaking, not very convincing. And in fact, in recent studies, have, show, have started finding also toxins within spirulina. In other words, stay away. I wouldn't touch it. Well, very good. Well, Al, what's the best way for people to find out more and get in contact with uh, Blue Green? So, um, first of all, if you want to find out more about the problem, it's all over the place. Uh, there's a lot of information uh, with the US EPA, uh, the WHO. Um, there's a lot of uh, information on our website, www.bgtext.com. Um, and that's also the best way to communicate with us. Um, we have our representatives in the United States, in uh, uh, in, uh, in Israel, in South Africa, in China, in the middle of expanding still a small company, small Israeli company. Um, but, you know, we're trying to respond wherever there's a need. Um, we're trying to be there. And like I said before, um, our ability to respond is, 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 is relatively fast um, and, and, and we can get to places uh, quite quickly uh, with, uh, with a very effective solution. Excellent. Well, Ayal, thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials, or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription, or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.